Welcome to the Wisdom and Wealth Podcast, a series of conversations designed to equip our listeners with helpful insights necessary to simplify the critical decision points of life. We believe true wealth is the thing money cannot buy and death cannot take away. Furthermore, we also believe our calling is to enable others to fulfill their own. And to that end, we endeavor. Investment advisory services offered through CWM, LLC, and SEC Registered Investment Advisor. Welcome in again to the Wisdom and Wealth Podcast. This is Josh Clues, the Senior Wealth Planner here for Carson Wealth in the Woodlands, Texas. I'm joined today by Jamie Hopkins, our uh, Managing Partner of Wealth Solutions. And we're going to talk more in depth about charitable contributions um, and two frameworks that we believe make sense uh, for clients uh, given their different uh, phase of life. But Jamie, welcome into the podcast once again. Hey, Josh, good to see you, and uh, thanks for having me on. Our pleasure. So, Jamie, we'll, we'll go ahead and go um, to the uh, a strategy that we believe uh, clients and neighbors can use um, later on in life, but it's called a qualified charitable distribution, and it's typically from an IRA, right? Um, but uh, typically, it's it's overlooked, and there's some some stipulations that have to be taken into consideration. Um, and I, just to kick it off, why don't you tell us a little bit more about the QCD as it's come to be uh, called in the in the vernacular sense? Yeah. And look, QCDs are a way to give that can be a very effective way if you're, you know, past a certain age, so over age 70 and a half and you have an IRA. Those are the two qualifications on the front end. And then you've got to want to give money away. Like if you don't want to give money to a charity, <laughs> then like there's no need for this. So you've really got to dive into like, do I have charitable intent and what do I want to impact with my giving and why? Now, if, if you dive into this really quickly, it's do you, are you past age 70 and a half? Even though we've seen some other rules push out the 72, this one still sits at 70 and a half. So it's not one that's been changed by the security act or the cares act or anything Mm -hmm. else it's still have you reached age 70 and a half and you really actually have to get there it's not in the year in which you reach 70 the 70 and a half you got to pass that 70 and six months day and then you can do a qcd and money would then come directly from this ira over to a qualified charity and up to a hundred thousand dollars a year can go out as a QCD and that can actually go against satisfying an RMD if you have one. Now, if you're 70 and a half, you probably don't have an RMD from the account. And I say probably it could be an inherited account. So there are Mm -hmm. situations you could be past 70 and a half inherited account and subject to an RMD. Fine. Not as common. Usually we're thinking about the owner of the account, 72 now RMDs and can offset RMDs. So if you had enough money coming in from other areas, but you still need to meet your RMD, you could send the entire thing. If it was like 50,000 to a charity, not have to take any RMDs additionally out. Now here is the more important part is that money that is treated as a right QCD is not and ends up not being included in an essence, your taxable income. So it just doesn't show up. It's like it didn't happen. Whereas a normal distribution, if you took out 50 grand in that case, right, would have been treated as $50,000 of taxable income and then eventually impacted your tax rates. And otherwise, 
potentially even if you gave that money away to charity, it would be deducted further on down the line. And so like even that deduction isn't as good as a QCD. There's still certain things that you would be subject to potentially from a tax standpoint, um, even if you gave the whole amount away to a charity anyway. So if you're looking to give to charity, you're over age 70 and a half, you have an IRA, you should start with one of the main conversation points is should I be sending the money directly from my uh, IRA to the charity? And it does have to go directly there. You can't take the money out and go, you know, cash it out and go hand it to them. It doesn't work that way. I had a really good conversation one time. Somebody wasn't giving that much. It was like, $500 a year um, to their church. And I said, well, you should still do it this way. One of the reasons was they were under, right, the standard deduction mm-hmm. limit versus itemized. So they weren't getting any tax benefit from giving the $500 a year to their charity, their church in that situation. And they said, yep. well, I don't really care about the tax savings. I just, I do it because I, I care about my church. And I said, well, if you think about it this way, you know, at, 20%, you're saving $100, right? So you're now saving $100 by doing it this way versus cashing it out. Like you can now give an extra $100 if you want and you end up with the same amount of money. And like to them, that was the impact. And so they were like, oh, I will do it and I will raise it up $100. Now you could add some extra zeros to that if that's your situation, right? And we'd be talking about you know 5,000 or 50,000 and moving up to 60,000. But that can allow you to be more efficient with your giving and allow you to have a bigger impact right, on the charity you want to give to or just save yourself more in taxes. This is one of those situations when I ask people, do you want to pay optional taxes? And Josh, how many times if I said, do you want to pay optional taxes, are you going to say yes? (laughs) I'm still trying to find that person that believes the United States government is a better steward of their resources than them. Um, Yeah. I, I haven't found them yet. Yeah. (laughs) so if if you like paying optional taxes ignore the strategy but if you don't like paying optional taxes right look at this the government is trying to encourage charitable giving here and create more Mm -hmm. effective ways in which you can give and this is one of them it's a very effective way to give if you meet those qualifications over 70 and a half ira owner yep and again just just for hypothetical you know purposes Jamie, what you're saying is, and in what what the this what what this giving strategy allows you to do is to take your full standard deduction and stack your mm-hmm. QCD on top of it. So why would you take the standard deduction and then pay out of cash your your charitable deductions of five thousand or ten thousand dollars when you could have $25,900 worth of standard deduction and stack your deduction on top of that. If it's $10,000, it'd be $35,000 worth mm-hmm. of tax deductions that you're essentially giving, getting once, especially once you are at RMD age, where it would have been required money that you would have been you know, required to take as well, right? Um, so it just makes sense. Uh, and it's, it's one more way to ensure that you're you're getting the full benefit of the yeah. charitable inclination. And it's it's not to say, Josh, there aren't situations in which other giving is more valuable, but it's pretty rare. You know, in my view of things, 
if you're looking, especially at what I'll, I'll say is the, you know, medium size giving, you know, we're talking about 500 to $50,000 a year, somewhere in that range. And some people might say, wow, 50,000 is a lot. And some people mm-hmm. might say it's not a lot. So I'm going to say medium size and that's yeah. personal, right? But, uh, that would well, be it's a lot planned giving, right? Yeah. I, I never want to rob somebody of the joy of spontaneous giving, right? No. I, I always ask, Hey, what is the last thing you spent money on that brought you true joy? Right. And typically yeah. charitable giving is is in there somewhere. Um, and so there's there's going to be moments where you see a need and you just spontaneously meet it because you you believe that's the right thing to do. And, and you know, praise the Lord, go do it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know, but um, but if, if at all possible, hey, here, here's how you can get some more leverage. Yeah. Well. What I was getting to the next part was when you start getting higher up on those dollar amounts and you start talking about things. I mean, honestly, I'd even say at the top end of what a QCD is allowed per year. When you start talking about doing $100,000 per year and 200000 and a million dollar gifts, it is not always clear that a QCD is going to accomplish the objectives that you're looking for anymore. So we could start looking at other things, right? The, the yep. donor advice fund world, right? Charitable remainder trust, you charitable gift annuities. Like there's a bunch of other gifting techniques, charitable lead trust that might start meeting your desired outcomes more. But if this is just the general plan giving you giving cause you care and you want to, you know, put money aside, this can be an effective way to do it. Yeah. And I know I'm probably harping here, but what is the one surefire way to know whether your client is charitably inclined when you're a financial planner, Jamie? I mean, I would say ask them. (laughs) Yep. That that's a start. And the second one is actually reviewing their tax return. Yeah. Um, Again, I find that so few, um, advisors in the industry take the time to actually look at, at the tax return of their clients. Um, and again, it's just basic homework for knowing what's important to your clients and then looking around the corner to see what might be on the horizon for them and what what they may want to look at. Um, it's, it's just a basic, a, a basic um, tool that should, should be utilized in almost every engagement. Um, if for no other reason than to just ensure that you're your investment uh, portfolio is is efficient, um, but especially with regard to to charitable planning, if you didn't ask and you didn't review your client's tax return, odds are you don't really know what's that important to them. Yeah, and the, the tax return one's a, a great piece of it too. And uh, you know, if you can see that in there, as I went back to, you know, depending on you know if they're standard deduction filer, you might not see it. Right. So you might have to go a little bit further sometimes, depending on what they included with it. Um, some people are pretty good with keeping receipts and, and giving in addition to the standard deduction. Uh, not everybody. And the yeah, I'm actually so curious on that, thing. what you've what you've encountered. Um, I still don't I think there's still a lot of confusion over how high the standard deduction is. And people still send a ton of yep. their, you know, <laughs> I'll, I'll typically I'll get this giant uh, folder and it'll still have a ton of charitable contributions in it, even though it's it falls below the standard deduction, which is still great because it still accomplishes the same thing when people are like, hey, all the information's in there, review it and tell me what you think about it. Um, but it's, it's, uh, it's just, I think, old muscle memory of when, when the way we used to do things anyway before. Well, it, it's the right way to do things, right? Because ultimately, yeah. I don't know if you're a standard deduction filer or not until we have all the receipts of everything, right? Like until yeah. we actually add it all up, 
We well, don't I'm know. not saying like, in, in years past, right? Like, yeah. you know, so it's, it's the, the accountant passed it off and you know, you get it back, but it's just, yeah. Now you keep records of everything. Right. And, uh, that's not a bad thing. Cause it, what that could do is lead to, and I think you briefly mentioned the term like bunching. And if I go back and look at the last five years and I see you're a standard deduction filer, but I didn't have any of your gifting information, I might say, okay, like, let's just keep on rolling. Let's doing the same thing we've always done. Now, if I go back and see, it's like, wow, you were given $10,000 a year, you're a couple and you had $10,000 of, you know, salt deductions and some income tax deduction stuff. Maybe you're getting around $20,000, but you weren't getting over the standard deduction, but you had about $20,000 of itemized stuff and you gave $10,000 for the last five years to charity. Well, reality is you would have been better off not giving for four years, getting that into a $50,000 sum and giving all in one year. And then all of a sudden I would have had the 50 from the one year as a charitable deduction and that 10 grand of other itemized deductions. I would have gotten right um, $60,000 well above the standard deduction. We'll just say, you know, $35,000 above rough math there um, for a couple and, you know, maybe at a, a 20, you know, 25%, you know, rate there, we're talking about eight, 9,000, you know, nine, $10,000 of tax savings. And so you essentially by spreading that money out, cost yourself an additional $10,000 in five years of taxes versus lump summing all of that mm-hmm. in one year. And what we call bunching strategies. So we got bunched together a bunch of standard deduction, uh, or a bunch of itemized expenses into one year to improve our tax outcomes. That's something that we might not be able to figure out unless we looked back in time, right? And actually said like, hey, look, like <laughs> here's this great, you know, resource, um, you know, by looking at all of our itemized uh, deductions over the last five years and we can put together with a strategy. So it's a good reason to keep documentation of what you've been doing. Yep. And, and if you don't pencil out what that bunching strategy looks like, it's, it's hard to conceptualize that, hey, I'm actually getting a better, a, a better deductive outcome. Um, but it, it works um, when, when you look at the, the overall deductions that you're getting by, by bunching your charitable contributions, even if it's just two years into one and then taking the, the next year as your standard deduction. The other piece that I find that is really helpful um, is looking at, especially when someone is charitably inclined, is looking what that charitable inclination allows them to do from a Roth conversion perspective. Typically, mm-hmm. you can offset the two, um, and it allows them to get a, a conversion at a favorable, uh, you know, marginal tax rate as well. Now, you, you probably don't want to go overboard, but it still allows you an opportunity to to look at it and at least raise the question of, hey, while we have this remainder at this marginal rate, what does this do for your overall outcome? And are you, are you comfortable with that? And Josh, probably the bigger statement there to make too is, you know, Roth conversions are one, but large charitable giving, like truly transformational gifts when people want to give back and as part of the guilt, like a building campaign at their oh, yeah. college or their, <clears throat> or their church or, you know, whether like the local hospitals building a new wing and you really want to do something transformational. A lot of times people, the most efficient thing to do is to actually align those with really big income years. So maybe you're mm-hmm. selling a business, you're liquidating a bunch of investments, you are doing a very large Roth conversion from a traditional IRA. 
years in which you're realizing a lot of gains. And often those are the years that you also have positive cash flow to send somewhere. Mm -hmm. Now, an IRA to Roth conversion year might not be the same case, right? Like you're, you're moving the money. So, uh, mm-hmm. but those other years, you're selling a business, you're liquidating some investments and some property. Those are great years to think about giving to charity to offset some of the gains. And so you might get a million dollars of gain and decide that's the year that you're making that transformational gift. That's super important to you and the value you provide out there in the world. And you're going to, you know, you're changing the world for the better and you're doing it in an intelligent and like, you know, coordinated fashion. And it's in those years, typically what I've found is that it's, it's hard for clients to wrap their mind around the, the, size of the gift because they've never given a gift quite that that large and you break it down and say hey now that you have gotten this big you know you've sold a business or something has has happened here's what you're going to be able to what what do you forecast that you'll give over the rest of your life lifetime and typically people give a, a certain percent or have goals of certain percentages of their wealth that they want to give away each year or their income that they want to give away each year and when you've put that into perspective, you say, well, hey, in this up income year, you have the opportunity to basically just literally set in a separate account the same amount of money that Mm -hmm. you were going to give away in your lifetime anyway. (laughs) Um, But the difference is that you get to direct where it goes rather than it going to the government, you know, full swoop in that, 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 that same year. And obviously, you're not going to fully offset taxes in all cases. But, you know, typically, there's, there's a, uh, a, a comparison ratio where people say, "Yeah, I'm okay with with this amount because it's it, it's basically rather than giving it to the IRS, I'm going to give it to mm-hmm. something that I know that I'm fully passionate about or that I really know I can influence today." And by putting it in that donor advised fund, you don't have to give it all in the same year. You get to spread it out over a series of years, which um, can become it can take on a life of its own as well. Mm-hmm. Um, by passing that on to future generations. And Josh, one other thing I'll say is you, you brought this up, which was that that large transformational gift can seem really daunting because they've never dealt with those numbers before. And look, that's true for every, you know, kind of large gift exchange purchase. You always have that first one. A lot of times I think when it comes to charitable giving, and so look, look, I I worked at a nonprofit for a long time. I helped raise funds. So I've been through this. And my first mentor was a, a planned giving expert. And one of the things that I realized and learned from others was a lot of people haven't spent enough time with the organization to really make that big gift yet. And so a lot of times when people are coming in, they had that liquidation, they had that financial moment and they wanted to give, but they kind of know they like the place. They don't know that they love it. They don't know the mm-hmm. interworkings of it. They haven't donated their time and experienced it. They don't know the outcomes that the place can truly drive. And that drives a lot of that uncertainty. So, you know, really good, you know, planned giving uh, departments will get people involved first, which is like, give us some of your time first, like come here and see the solutions we can deliver. And then let's work on that together. And so by the time you're ready to make that larger gift, you've already given, you know, time and treasure is what they say they look Mm -hmm. for. And you've given that time. So you feel confident that we can deliver on the impact that you want to make. And, you know, if you're not ready for that, 
start there first, right? And that's that charitable inclination and uh, start there and build up that first so that you can get the full amount of that enjoyment out of a a truly big and transformational gift. Absolutely. Well, Jamie, thank you so much for your time. Um, Giving and uh, charitable inclination is one of my favorite topics. Um, And I can tell just by your responses that it's one of yours as well. Um, But thank you again for your time. And we look forward to meeting again in the future. Thanks, Josh. Well, that's all for today. Thank you again for joining us. We trust that you are better equipped to steward both your wealth and your financial resources. If you have questions or suggestions for a future topic, please direct those to infohouston at carsonwealth.com. May you and your family encounter truth, beauty, and goodness on the road ahead. The opinions voiced in Wisdom and Wealth with Josh Clues are for general information only are not intended to provide specific advice or recommendations for any individual. Past performance is no guarantee of future results. Investing involves risk, including possible loss of principal. No strategy assures success or protects against loss. To determine what may be appropriate for you, consult with your attorney, accountant, financial, or tax advisor prior to investing. Investment advisory services offered through CWM LLC and SEC Registered Investment Advisor. Our address is 1780 Hughes Landing, Suite 570, The Woodlands, Texas, 77380.